Sex, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the speculative interdimensional vehicle, Sex in Space. Its mission, to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before, and still somehow manage to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space, wherever quality podcasts are found. Hi, I'm Toshi and welcome back to Sex in Space, here continuing to explore sex across all of its infinite dimensions. I hope everyone out there is doing well. Whether you're a first-time listener joining us on this mission or a seasoned traveller on our cosmic adventures, we're thrilled to have you aboard. So, buckle up. If you're tuning in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or any other platform, we sincerely thank you for joining us. Remember to show your support by liking, rating and subscribing. You can also find more Sex and Space content on TikTok and Instagram. Just search for us using our handle at sexandspace.com. We genuinely love hearing from our listeners and engaging with our community. And your feedback means the world to us. We're all on this journey together, learning from one another and seeking cultural and social acceptance. So please feel free to reach out in any way you like. And hey, lavish gifts are always accepted too. Now let's dive into today's interviews. Yes, you heard it right, interviews plural. We're excited to share a recording of our team, Jane, Tim and myself, chatting with the incredible Michelle Fischler for her podcast, Get Some. Michelle is a certified sex therapist who fearlessly and insatiably explores human sexuality, inspiring transformative conversations across cultures, belief systems, and lifestyles. We discussed everything from kangaroo vaginas to literal sex in space. A huge thanks to Michelle for inviting us and allowing us to share this recording. Let's get started. Tell us how you landed on this sex and space mission. One of the defining moments was actually watching a great sex educator going into a classroom, it was in the UK, and asking one of the kids in the class, 16-year-old, beautiful young man, who looked directly down the spot of the camera, and she said, how do you know when sex is finished? And he said, well, it's when you come on her face, isn't it? <laughs> My God. Which was funny shit, we have to do something. This is how they're getting educated now. Yep. This is it. This is online is their education. So the project really took off and a whole bunch of different things, working on a game, releasing a book and doing our podcasts. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that's how I came to land in this space. You have a game in the works. Yeah, we do. Absolutely. God, it's taken us probably, what, Tim, best part of three and a half years to research the questions because it's triv for sex, basically, identities, bodies, acts, all of the kind of realm of of sexuality, although it doesn't have animals in it because we didn't have Toshi at the time chasing that rabbit. But it took a very long time to research the questions. And when we developed the first round of the game, we got a bunch of sex educators in to play it. Yeah. And they came out and went, oh, (laughs) you guys, you need to lighten this up a bit. Because we got so (laughs) political with our questions. We're like, yeah, you know, there's all this stuff people need to know. And, you know, and it's that charming people to the point where you disarm and make this information really accessible. And I think you need to leaven it and make it fun. So we're kind of almost Mm -hmm. there and we're going to take it to Kickstarter and let the world decide really. Do you know, the reason we're called Sex in Space was nothing to do, well, it sort of became to do with it. But when we were trying to name the project, every name we came up with, if you Googled it, it took you to a porn site. 
because if it was going to talk about what was in the tin, yeah. then, you know, it needed to have some explanatory quality to it. And finally, we landed on Sex in Space, which really described the project. But also, if you Googled it, all you got was astronauts. Yeah. So it was perfect. It made it more child friendly. Oh, yeah. So that's how we landed. Oh, it's so good. And I love how you've just really run with the whole theme. And do we know whether or not people have had sex in space? Look, it's something the space organizations are really cagey about because it's not mainstream to talk about sex and sexuality. And to bring it into that world, there are people who are trying. There's researchers who are pushing really hard. We do have anecdotal evidence from astronauts or cosmonauts who reportedly have masturbated in space, but that's kind of more oblique in their feedback when they've been interviewed. Although there was within the Russian handbook some guidance that it would be healthy. NASA's like really stands back from that conversation. We have had a couple in space. Yeah. Now, our view on that is they didn't, they should have. You know, like seriously had a go, but they're keeping very sturm on that. And at this point, I'm not sure that there's been sexual encounters in space or not. So we can't definitively answer that question, but we can say people have been in space for extended periods of time. It would be really surprising if somebody hadn't thought, let's give this a go, given it's heavily weighted male. Again, you've got a whole bunch of taboo stuff, you know. So if they have engaged in anything, it's sort of like Brokeback Mountain in space. And are we going to go there? Probably not. We can say with some certainty that masturbation, yes. Intimate sexual exchange between two people, don't know. Yeah. I think there was an earlier astronaut that said that he would wake up with the hardest morning erections <laughs> ever. <laughs> Zero gravity. <laughs> and then yeah. think about what was going on around him and they'd go again. <laughs> you can definitely get erections in space. Yeah. You don't get a lot of privacy to enjoy them. Although if you look at some of the space station cubicles that they're in, there's certainly, you know, there's enough room to be self-involved. I don't know there's enough room for two of you. <laughs> they're in their regular clothes, I guess, when they're not in their spacesuits. They're dressed. Yeah. And they've got these kind of like hoods and their sleeping bags. I mean, you know, it's not sexy material that they're in. Well, and I also imagine it'd be kind of difficult, like, you know, if you have a penis and you orgasm and like the semen, I guess, it's just floating around. Floats. <laughs> no, you have to masturbate into a condom, right? You would have to. Oh, is that what they do? They masturbate into a condom? Well, I can only imagine somebody's thought that through, yeah. right? And it would make sense. <laughs> Capture what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> when you're sticking people up in space for long extended periods of time, I would imagine that it would be good to masturbate to keep your pelvic floor muscles nice and strong or something. Also, maybe you aren't that horny up in space because maybe it is a bit stressful. I can think there's all these parts that on one hand, it completely makes sense that we should start to research this and investigate this a little bit more. And I'm sure there are countries that are really like wanting to get some of that information. Like who doesn't want to be the first person to, I don't know, get it on in space? Who doesn't want to be the first country or something to have a baby in space or something to that effect? 
Yeah, completely. And if we're really looking at expansion, I mean, I find that a terrifying thought. We're so bad at our own planet. Mm-hmm. But if we're seriously looking at it, we have to understand human sexuality and reproduction in space. And yeah. the sex and sexuality is a health issue. And then reproduction is a whole other thing, you know, in terms of how that takes place. But And where they were born. Where's their, like, passport, you know? Well, yes. <laughs> I'd wonder if whether they'd even develop correctly I, mm. we were sort of chatting about this and it's like every human ever and every evolutionary ancestor of ours has been born on earth it, with our atmosphere and gravity and all of those factors like i imagine from the first cell splitting event and so you know you try and do that in zero gravity like what are you going to get at the end so well and the latest information in terms of fluid expansion in zero gravity is suggesting that there's impacts on the brain for astronauts and so what does that do for babies in terms of their bodies and it's evolving and, and they're discovering that the ventricle expansion that's part of the brain fluid expands in space they come back down to earth but then when they go back up again it doesn't expand any further it's they don't even understand this yet. Wow. Like, is it because there's a limit to what we're capable of withstanding? Is it because it's become partially normalized? We don't know. Yeah. We're really behind the eight ball if we're planning on sending right. people to Mars. Exactly. Can you imagine starting to send people up there? We have no idea of what the ramifications are for. I mean, sure, you can sign an agreement, I guess, that you're not going to have sex. I'm assuming they have to sign something? Probably, but. <laughs> Humans being what they are, <laughs> you know, how many hostesses or crew have caught people in the toilets on a plane? Like they just can't help themselves. In fact, once I wanted to have sex on a plane back in the day and everybody was asleep around us. And so I got brave and leant across my partner and sat up and realized I was looking directly into the eyes of the man in the seat behind and thought, no, I can't actually. <laughs> if you were up there in a spaceship with somebody you liked, of course you would give it a go. Oh, oh, I heard this fact that. It's harder to get on The Bachelor than it is to become an astronaut that gets picked to go to space. (laughs) And do you want to know why? Do tell. It's because on The Bachelor, they always have to screen for STIs. On The Bachelor, you're not allowed to go on as a contestant if you test positive for herpes, HSV. Oh, wow. One or two. Yeah. As an astronaut, you can test positive. They just need to keep an eye on it because they don't know how STIs, wow. what happens with them in space. So fascinating. Isn't it though? <laughs> if you were to think about a fact about animals that you think is really cool... What would that be? Well, I was really excited to hear about the snake having a clitoris. When that article came out at the end of last year, I actually was able to speak with Megan Falwell, who was the lead author on that study. Snakes have something called a hemipenis, so it's like a two-part penis. And she was like, why? I've never heard anything about a clitoris in snakes. And she did yeah. some some research and some literature and she didn't find anything. And she said, okay, maybe I'll do some research on some actual snakes. The first one that she dissected, which was a death adder, she found a clitoris. And it's just something that hadn't 
been discovered before. And there was a couple of reasons for that. One of them, she said, admittedly, it is quite hard to find. Different snakes have different textures of clitoris. So some of them, you can hold them up to the light and you can sort of see right through them almost. Others, you can look at them and you can see all the nerves in them really, really easily. And I think something about her technique is different to the way other people dissect the tail. So sometimes they can cut right through it, where she actually, her technique is, I guess, gentle enough to not damage it. And the other reason for that, she said, is this taboo in research, animals and humans in terms of female genitalia, which is why it took such a long time to find the clitoris in snakes. And I just think it's quite interesting because she was saying it has a lot of implications in terms of how we can think about snake mating. So she was saying in a lot of the times the male will like wrap his tail around the female and they thought that was just his way of like making sure that he stayed there and no other male came and like kicked him out. Um, But actually that he like will like vibrate and that that she said it makes sense that could be simulatory if there is a clitoris in the female snake. So that was really interesting to hear about, I would say. Can I just clarify here? So there's male snakes and female snakes. Well, you've got male snakes and female snakes, and you also have intersex snakes. And actually, I think there was some research done, and the reason that they couldn't find a clitoris is because sometimes they were looking at intersex snakes and thinking, oh, this is the hemipenis. Or, and so they were getting confused, and they just didn't do enough research to actually find this clitoris in snakes. What can you do to make using condoms more pleasurable? Yeah, I mean, I find the whole thing around condoms really an interesting debate, really. I think you can build a condom into the pleasure of having an intimate time. It's a reality of having sex. I don't know why people get awkward about it. I wonder sometimes if it's the kind of Hollywood effect or the porn effect. You know, the music's playing and we're here in our romantic clinch and to stop that and go, oh, hang on, love, I've got to quickly put this condom on and then get back to it. If you're wrapped up in trying to keep everything perfect, sex would be just like it is in the movies. Maybe that could be awkward for people. And then obviously there's porn where you never see a condom, you know, Ever. And then you're right, there's this narrative that, oh, it's like, you know, wearing a Wellington boot on your dick. And it's like, it's really not. <laughs> it's absolutely not, you know. And yeah, there's tips, there's tricks, but I think make it fun. A tip is to put a bit of lube in the end of the condom, and it's got to be water-based lube. And then that can increase pleasure. Just a couple of drops. You don't want it to slip off. Yeah, no. not the usual handful. <laughs> Just a couple of shots. Is that how much you used him? And definitely not oil based <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes the condoms can kind of dry out, but like there is a solution for everything. You just have to be open to crash around and try what works for you, but get the lube involved if that's the case. Yeah. The conversation to even say, hey, do you have some lube is really stressful for people because they've been in experiences where they've said, hey, can we use some lube? And their partner's like, why? We don't need lube. Mm -hmm. What? You're not turned on enough? Yeah. Right? And just even the conversation around, do you have a condom? We don't have frameworks to talk about sex and sexuality, and we don't even have a vocabulary. So you've got to start with using words like lube, Mm. having conversations about lubricity. That's the kind of female equivalent of not quite erect is 
when you get less lubricity as you get older or you're not feeling very well or you're not that turned on yet. So if we start to be able to build a vocabulary and have a framework, then I think we've got a hope of having conversations, but when we don't even know the words to use. And when we do know the words, we often have an association with like negative shame, embarrassment. Yes. And so being able to pair lube and sex with some kind of lightness. Yes. Some humor, maybe. Yeah. Pleasure, right? Are there such things as aphrodisiacs like oysters, right? I wonder, is it something in the oyster that might make people feel aroused? Or is it that the oyster looks like labias? (laughs) (laughs) And it puts the mental image into your head. Like, what is it? What is the truth behind this? Do you know? I think it can be both. Foods can be used in two ways in terms of how they look. So you've got the look of the oyster. It's very soft, quite creamy. Same things for like berries. They can be juicy, um, maybe like, like a melon or some raspberries or strawberries, chocolate if you melt it. But I think as well there are certain nutritional elements to certain foods that can also help in sex. So one, we have the humble beetroot, which maybe you wouldn't think would help with sex. The beetroot? That you can make into a juice or something. Yeah. Basically, when you have beetroot, it helps your body produce nitric oxide, which is something that helps increase blood flow to the genitals and that helps with arousal. And interestingly, that is the same way that Viagra helps. So you've got, you know, kind of this like natural food element that can help increase arousal. You have your beetroot carrot juice before sex and it might make you feel more aroused. OMG. <laughs> Kangaroos have three vaginas and this blows my mind. Could you (laughs) just tell us a little bit about why do they have three vaginas? So what happens is they've got three kind of like all next to each other. And then they've got these things called ureters, which take urine from the kidneys to the bladder. And so they've got two of those and they kind of come like in between the three vaginas. Okay. So the outside two vaginas are for sperm and the middle one is like the birth giving canal. So it's kind of like a three-pronged fork, I guess. And so what happens is you'll have like a little joey developing in one of, because there's two uteruses as well, developing in one. And then after a month, it'll be born. And then it will spend the next eight months developing in the pouch. And then while it's developing in the pouch, the mother can get pregnant again and develop another baby in her uterus. And then what's really cool is what happens is they have this thing I think it's embryonic diapause where they can actually pause the pregnancy at around 100 cells. So it basically stops growing and it waits for its sibling to pop out of the pouch so it can then be born. So it's kind of like in like a like waiting room. Shit, I wish we could press pause. (laughs) (laughs) Not ready. (laughs) Come back. (laughs) Give me a couple months here. Need to come to terms. <laughs> but then actually, like, having said that, it means that they are, you know, constantly pregnant, basically. You know, they've oh. got a joy developing in the pouch and they've got one in here. So they've just, you know, lining up this sort of conveyor belt of kangaroos. The whole cycle is quite strange. When the babies are born, they're like a little worm, aren't they? They're like jelly bean size. And then they go into the pouch for, like, part two. And then 
turn into something that looks like a baby kangaroo. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it takes them like 48 hours, I think, to crawl their way through the enormous fur to get into the pouch and latch on where they can then basically get the nutrients they need and grow. By the time they come out, they're huge, aren't they? Like they're just all these legs, you know, tail, this massive kangaroo. <laughs> plop. And it's so weird when you see them come out. Like they, they're quite big. And then you see them like get back into the pouch or come back. I'm like, gentle there, gentle. You're going to hurt your mom. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to be reincarnated as a lady kangaroo. Thank you so much for being here. And I wondered, like, if people want to find you, what would be the best way for them to do that? We are on Instagram at sexandspace.com. Same on Facebook and on TikTok. And if you want to flick us an email, it's hello at sexinspace.com. And on the website, sexinspace.com, you can see all our projects. If you're interested, look us up. We're about building connections and community. So, yeah, thank you, Michelle. You're amazing. And we want to have you as a guest at our end. Yay, I would be happy to. And thank you so much for all the work that you do and just educating people, but educating people in a way that feels very non-threatening, very light and really creative. I love it. You're doing a great job. We hope you enjoyed that insightful discussion. Make sure to check out Get Some with Michelle Fischler on all major podcast platforms. And for more information about Michelle, visit michellefischler.ca. Before we sign off, we want to remind you to check out our book, Available at sexandspace.com forward slash book or simply search The Organ Education Forgot on Amazon. Don't forget to leave a like, follow, comment or review wherever you're tuning in from. Your support means the world to us. Until next time, safe travels and see you on the next episode.